If you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to go back to those handful of verses that we looked at before. And one of the questions that is in front of us, it's been a question that's been in front of your mind probably at least once in your life, and that is the question, who am I really? Uh, really, who am I? Uh, this is a question that maybe some point in time when you kind of finished uh, a certain stage of life, whether you finished high school or maybe it was in a transition stage later on when the kids left home or something like that, where you've stopped and you've kind of wondered, who am I? And tried to identify what, what is the characteristics of who I am. And so we use some different tools uh, to try to figure that out. Sometimes we can take some personality tests. We can take a test and say, this is the kind of personality that I have or maybe you take a, an online quiz from Facebook that'll tell you which character from friends you're most likely are. Uh, these are important questions to figure out. Uh, who am I really? One of the things that's popular in these days is to take a, a DNA test, uh, find out what your ethnic background and your family history uh, background is. There is, is mine. There's an 87% chance that I'm from Great Britain. Uh, the fact that I was born in London might have tipped that off just a little bit, um, but those are some information that's there. Now, if you take a look at that and say, boy, I always wanted to get one of those DNA tests done, uh, but I was afraid that my dog would be jealous if I got good news for you, uh, because there is now Embark, the accurate dog DNA test. Uh, that showed up on my Amazon account this week. Um, so just in case your Irish setter has been lying to you and it's not really Irish, you can find that out right uh, there. Uh, but the question is, who am I is a legitimate question that you've probably asked at least at some point in time in your life. But I would tell you that that very question is equally, if not more significant in terms of who we are spiritually. And you see, the thing is, most of you who are here this morning have already picked which team you're on. You've already picked that you are on the Jesus team, that you are committed your life to him. You've committed to being here on Sunday mornings. We know how to do this life. But what does it mean now that I've chosen to be a person who is a follower of Jesus? What does that mean about my life? How is my life different because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, I don't know that we always do a great job answering that question. I don't know that we always knock it out of the ballpark helping people who sit in church week to week understand what is significant and different and meaningful about their life in terms of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And I think that we are really coming into a season where it becomes more important than ever to answer that question well. You see, I think that there is a gap between a believer in Christ and the voices and the noises that we hear from around us every single day that we actually need to get better and better at answering the question, so seriously, who am I? What is my identity in Christ? What does it mean to be a follower in Christ? I think sometimes we have, we have learned how to do Sundays well, and I don't mean that to be critical at all of the practice and the routine of being in worship together on Sunday morning and, and, and joining in worship as we have in both of our services uh, this morning. We, we, we know how to do that. But what about Tuesday morning and Friday night and Saturday afternoon 
What does it mean to be a follower in Christ, a believer in Christ in those settings? I think as we take a look at the book of 1 Peter, we're going to discover several different things that 1 Peter really helps us with on this topic. I think one of the things that you're going to see is that we're going to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ according to 1 Peter. And I think 1 Peter is going to be so helpful to us over the next several months uh, for several reasons. One, in studying this and getting ready for this, I, I looked forward to teaching 1 Peter, but in, in just doing some of the groundwork in this last week, whoo, man. Read through there this week. There is hardly a topic in life that's not touched in 1 Peter. In fact, I would really kind of try to challenge you this week. Make a list of all the important things in life, then go read 1 Peter and see if it doesn't touch on those issues. In verse 1 Peter is going to talk about so many different things. About six of them I'd prefer it didn't touch because I don't really look forward to getting into that mess, but it's in there. And it's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He, he links our lives to our faith. And so I look forward to that conversation uh, together. But I also think that Peter is such a fascinating character for us to think about in terms of understanding our identity. Really, almost without an intentional plan, we've been hanging out with Peter all year long. Uh, we, we started by looking at the book of Acts and looking at a snippet of some things that happened in the book of Acts. And of course, Peter, as one of the lead disciples, uh, was in the middle of almost every one of those passages in, in the book of Acts. And we see him there at the beginning of the early church. Recently, as we got ready for Resurrection Sunday, we were looking at Jesus talking to his disciples and seeing what he said, this is what it means to be a follower of me. And of course... Peter was right there in all of those places. Now we take a look at this epistle, this letter from Peter. And he writes this letter at the end of his life. Uh, one of the things we kind of look at is to try to understand exactly when this was written. And we probably have about an 18-month window when it was probably written in the last 18 months of Peter's life. And he now moves from being the person trying to figure out who Jesus is from being the leader of the early church to now it is his task in saying, okay, I need to find a way to, to deliver to the next generations what I know about it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in fact, he writes here in the first chapter, he says, I write this to those of you who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. That's you and I. We have not had the privilege of walking in the same time and place that Peter walked and lived. We've never seen, we've never put our hands on Jesus, and yet we believe. And so Peter actually writes this letter with you and I in his minds, let me write to the people who have never seen and yet believe. And part of what he wants to talk to us about right from the beginning is, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are in Christ, in your walk with Christ. Who am I? So let's dig in uh, to these verses this morning. It's just a handful of verses, but they're packed with information. And what I want us to do is I kind of want to read some of these statements together. So if you will, the, the first statement uh, up here is a statement that says, uh, I am a Jesus person. Let's read that together. I am a Jesus person. 
person. As a believer in Christ, as a follower of God, as a person who has a personal relationship with him, it begins with this statement that you are a Jesus person. Now, what I want you to hear is, I want you to know is that you are not just a good person. You are not a religious person. You are not a church person. You are not a family values person. You are a Jesus person. Take a look at the way in which Peter introduces himself. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we spent just a few minutes talking about Peter's resume. I mean, Peter is a big deal. He was the, the lead disciple. He was there when Jesus did these things. He was there when the early church got started. He was the, the preacher when it all broke loose. But he doesn't say, hey, I'm Peter. Here's some things that I want to tell you. He introduces himself right from the very beginning. I'm Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is why my life matters. This is why my words matter. This is the reason why I speak to you. This is the reason why you should listen to me. Not because I'm Peter, but because I am a messenger who has been sent by Jesus Christ. He is the source. He is the center. He is the reason why any of this matters. It is Jesus. Now, I also want to just take a moment and just do a little theology with you, if you don't mind. It wouldn't hurt if I didn't tell you that it was theology, but just, just watch, okay? It's important here in this place to hear these words because one of the things is every once in a while, someone will say, someone will say that they don't necessarily believe that Jesus was God. In fact, they'll say, well, you know, you read the Bible and you do this. I, I believe in all of those things, but I don't necessarily believe that Jesus was God. I want you to notice in this passage one of the ways in which we know of the deity, the godness of Jesus. Take a look at it here in verse 2. It says, uh, to those who are the exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Did you notice that pattern? He is writing in the name of God, but he lays out the entire Trinity in this passage. He says, I'm writing to this in the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, in obedience to Jesus Christ. He has put all three of those elements of the Godhead together, he has put them there individually, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, and he has put them all there together because they are equal and they are one. Now, sometimes we have a hard time understanding the Trinity, understanding some of these details, but you have to know that it's texts like this that say that we don't have any other choice but to see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as being the same and being equal and being one and being unique and being individual. How all that works together, I don't know. But it's texts like this that say we have to pay attention to those things. And so Jesus comes not just as the greatest prophet of all time. Jesus comes not as the wisest person, as the greatest teacher. Jesus comes as God himself. And you, if you are a follower of God, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a Jesus person. It hinges on the divine, resurrected Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You are a Jesus person. Uh, but I would also want you to know from this passage 
that I am not home. Let's see, if, let's see if we can say that together. I am not at home. Of course you know that because you're at church, but that's not really what we're, we're talking about here. I am not at home. For the 11 and a half years that Susan and I lived in Eunice, we had an experience that would happen at least once a week. We'd be talking to someone, maybe it was someone that we just met for the first time, and very early in the conversation, they would just kind of stop us and say, you're not from here. Where are you from? Hey, we couldn't go very far at all before someone stopped and said, you're not from here. You don't belong here. You're not, you're not from this kind of place. You're from someplace else. Now, you all do the same thing sometimes. You will meet somebody who has a really interesting accent, a different accent that portrays that they're from another part of the world, another part of the country. And no matter what it is that they're saying, you can't, you have to interrupt everything and say, hold on, before we go any further, you've just got to tell me where you're from. Where is that accent from? Even if you don't say it out loud, that's all that your brain wants to know. Where are you from? Because you are not from here. One of the things that Peter says to us right off the top is, folks, you have to understand that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Jesus person, you are not from here. Uh, the word that he uses here is he uses the word, and it's translated almost differently in every single Bible. The, the one that I'm reading today says elect exiles. Some places call them aliens. Some places call them, translates the word as strangers. Some places translated as sojourners. Uh, we're using in the title of the series, Traveler. Basically, it's someone who is not from here. Now, let that sink in for a minute. Peter is telling us that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is the equivalent, it is the same, it is as being someone who is not from here. Now, what does it mean to not be from here? Well, it means that sometimes we don't quite fit in. We don't sound like everybody else. We don't talk like everybody else. We don't make the same choices as everybody else. And sometimes people can pick us out in a room and say, you're not from here. We don't always fit in. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality is because of Christ in you, you don't always fit in here. It also tells us that because we are an alien, because we are a sojourner, because we are an exile, because we are a stranger, part of that reminds us that we have a truer home. You see, part of the thing is that this world is not our home. This is not our final resting place. This is not the place that we have identified and said, this is it, this has to be it. There are many ways in which we are passing through because we have a greater home than this one is. This is not your permanent ending. Now, sometimes that can be a great encouragement to us. Because sometimes we get worn and we get tired. We say, when is it all going to work out? When is it all going to fit? Well, part of the reason is this isn't the place where it all fits. This isn't the place where it gets perfected. This isn't the place where it all comes together. This world is not our home. Now, one of the challenges for us is that we have to make sure 
that we, that we stick out while we're still here. One of the things that we have to get right is that we have to struggle uh, to stay true to who our true home is, to our true reality is. Because as long as we live in this place, sometimes this culture can so infiltrate us that we begin to look more like here than our true home. Centuries ago, the king of Egypt passed a rule that said you could not stay in the city of Alexandria that would be the, the one in Egypt, not the one in Louisiana. That you could not stay in Alexandria more than 20 days. The reason for that is Alexandria was one of the most luxurious cities in the entire world. And he discovered that if people stayed in Alexandria too long, they got used to all the luxury and they became soft and they were no longer good for when they went back home. There was something that happened that shaped them while they were visiting a distant place that made them lose their usefulness for what was really their home. Is it possible that a believer in Christ ever gets too accustomed to this world so that it loses, he or she loses the ability to be different and stand for Christ? I think that we know the answer to that is yes. Now, now hear this. We don't hate this world. We like this world. We, we, we like the things that God made in this world. We, we like the people that God has created in this world. We are here to serve the people in this world. We are here to love this world. But we are to know that our home, for our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and everything, is not here. But it is for the things that are in Christ. We need to know that even though when we look at this, Part of what we see here is that if we hear the word that you are an exile, that you are a stranger, that you are an alien, that you are a sojourner, that can kind of feel like an isolating experience. But I want you to hear how it's balanced. What it's balanced by is it says you are an elect exile. You are a chosen alien. You are a selected sojourner. As much as it is that sometimes this world does not connect with you or receive you or know what to do with you, keep in mind that Jesus has said, I do. And he has chosen you and he has selected you and he has put his arms around you and he said, you belong to me. That's pretty strong. We may live in a world that does not necessarily feel like it embraces us. But we have Jesus who does embrace us. Also, we see in this little section here where he talks about that these are the people in the dispersion. These are the folks that have been scattered. I want you to know this world is not our home even though God has chosen us. But he has not only chosen us, but he has placed us, dispersed us, scattered us in the very places where you're supposed to be. I want you to know that where you go this week, to the school, to the job, to the store, to the errands, to the travels, to all the places where you end up this week. Those are places that you have been scattered, dispersed, and sent to so that you can represent and honor God in those places. This is not our home, but he has given us assignments in this place that we are. There's another part of this that we need to take a look at this. And the third thing here is that I am not yet finished. Say that with me. I am not yet finished. 
one of the things that's really key in the middle of this passage is he tells us that through the foreknowledge of God, he is sanctifying us through his spirit. Now, every once in a while, you and I will announce to the people around us, sometimes just to ourselves, and just say, I don't have it all together. Uh, I am not all that I'm supposed to be. I'm not good enough. Uh, my life is still flawed and broken and still messed up. Now, sometimes we say that out of humility. Sometimes we say that out of humbleness. And that's good and appropriate. But sometimes, sometimes we also say that out of a desire to take some of the expectation off of our life. Hey, don't expect too much from me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm not right. I don't have it all put together. So don't expect too much from me. But what I want you to see in this passage is that the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is the process of sanctification. Now, that's a big old church word. If you ever get to use that in Scrabble, you win. I think I said that the other day about something. It's a great big word. And the word, we understand it as the process in which God makes us holy. A more literal understanding of that word is it is the process where God purifies us and perfects us. Now hear this, hear this. We may not be perfect today, but he is in the process of making us perfect. We may not have it all together today, but he is in the process of delivering us one day so that we will be fully purified and fully perfect. It's the work that he wants to do inside of us. It is the work that he is doing inside of us. And so one of the things that I don't ever want us to get the idea is, I want us to understand that our lives are constantly changing as the Spirit of God wants to grow us, purify us, perfect us, and even eventually make us fully right before God. Now we are sanctified. This verse says that we are sanctified for the obedience of Jesus Christ. That is the calling on our life to do the things that we know are right. We are sanctified for obedience. But the verse also has an interesting thing. It says that we are sanct there's a sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ. And then it kind of says, almost tacked on at the end of the sentence, it says, and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, some folks have tried to understand that passage and try to it just seems like the sprinkling of the blood is what happens that saves us on the front end. So it's kind of strange that this idea of the sprinkling of the blood is applied at the end of the verse, at the end of the sentence. But I think the best way to understand that is that the sanctifying process that's going on in your life is for the obedience to Jesus Christ. And that's where we need to be living. But the truth is that you and I will still miss it sometimes. And we will still fall short of that obedience. And when we fall short of that obedience, the sprinkling of his blood is there for our forgiveness. Now what I want you to do is I want you to hear both sides of that. We are called to obedience and we are still offered grace. See, sometimes we have a pull inside of our life to be people who strive so hard for obedience that we forget about grace. Or sometimes we are so much in favor of grace that we forget about obedience. But the sanctifying work of Jesus, the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our life calls us to be obedient 
and to live inside of his grace. If we have an unwillingness to do that, it kind of reminds me of the person who says, I love Reese's peanut butter cups, but I don't like the peanut butter. Or to say, I love Reese's peanut butter cups, but, but I don't like the chocolate. No, they're together. You, you, you get one, you get the other. You can't pull them apart. That's the whole genius of a Reese's peanut butter cup. And I don't use the word genius lightly. It is, it is the whole thing that puts it together. Listen, when it comes to the sanctifying work of Jesus, the Spirit of God in our lives, it is a, it is a work that says, be obedient. Be obedient to the things that you know God wants you to do. And in those places where you miss it, the grace of God is there for you as well. Don't just choose one of those. Don't be a person who only pursues after obedience. Don't be a person who only worries about grace. The sanctifying work calls on us to do both of those things, to love and pursue both of those things. So what's the application for our passage this morning? Well, there's just a couple things I want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about a place in your life that you need to increase your obedience. There's a place in your life that you know what Jesus wants you to do. You know the things that God is wanting you to do. But your obedience isn't there. And maybe you need to identify that in a very specific way this morning. But I'd also say maybe the issue that's in your life today is that you need to embrace the grace that he's provided you as well. Maybe there's a place where you've messed up in the past and you just can't seem to get loose of that. You can't seem to get past that and you keep trying to strive and strive and strive and to perfect your way to getting rid of that when the only way to do that is to receive his grace. Maybe what you need is greater identity to be reminded that in the middle of the week that you are that you are a different person because you're in Christ. I don't know exactly what it is, but maybe you need greater obedience. Maybe you need greater grace. Maybe you need greater identity. But as we finish this morning, I would just encourage you to, to reflect and let the Spirit of God, that sanctifying Spirit that exists inside of you, to just respond to that and see what it is He has for you. Let's pray.